Let's get started. Let me pray for us, and we will get going. Here come some more boys. Hold on. Fun prayer. Fun prayer. <laughs> Serving drinks and snacks back there. Yeah. Got all right. Cupcake, please. Chocolate. Yeah. Sprinkles. Came in last. Got to sit in the front row. All right. Right here. All right, let me pray for us and we'll get going. God, thank You for today. Thank You that You have prepared so much for us today. You prepared every particle of air we will breathe that our body needs to function. You prepared every bit of water, every piece of sand. You prepared us for every conversation we're going to have today, everything we're going to hear. You prepared our hearts to hear about and to know, to enjoy the peace that You give us through Christ, through the indwelling of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us use these gifts that You've given us to enjoy You, to glorify You, to enjoy other people, other things. Bless our time this morning. Uh, Help us to understand Your kingdom and how to live in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, thank you all for coming. This is, uh, what class is this? Upside Down Living in an Upside Down World. Upside Down Living in an Upside Down World makes us right side up. At least in my mind. Alright? We're going to talk about right living in an upside down world. How to live for God in a fallen world. How to live as Christ in a fallen world. That's what we're talking about this week. As Jesus lays out how to do this in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through through 12, we're going to be talking about. But today I want to do an introduction. Before we even get to the Beatitudes, I want to do an introduction this morning. Alright, take a look at this. A unique person comes. What's this a plot for? Only a few recognize a person's significance and they follow this person. This person unfolds the reality of another world and its significance and influence. Jesus. Star for you. Jesus. What else? This might be something strange to some of you. Man, not maybe us, actually. It could be a strange thing. Stranger things. Stranger things. Stranger. Stranger things, great answer, yes. This is the plot of Stranger Things, which is just really a gospel plot. It's the plot of the Stranger Things, right? Eleven comes. Totally unique, totally weird. Have y'all watched Stranger Things, I assume? I watched the last season. You plowed through it before you came. Yeah, had to get it done. Alright, so 11 comes and then only a few, a few lowly, insignificant people, we'll call them youth, understand her significance and follow her and, and, and watch her deliver them and help them and strengthen them. And then throughout, she's unfolding the reality of this, this other world. Of course, where it's contrary to the gospel though, is the world she unfolds is it's a deadly place. But Jesus unfolds that, that God's kingdom has come. All right, Jesus unfolds for us that God's kingdom has come. It's powerful, it's significant, and it, and it influences and overpowers the fallen world. The world we see around us, the world we live in, the ocean we swim in. Jesus has come and He's unfolded for us the reality of God's kingdom. 
Jesus has come and He's unfolded for us, made known to us the reality of God's kingdom. Back up for a second. My name's Brian. I live in Augusta, Georgia. I've been a youth pastor for seven-ish, eight-ish years now. Um, I didn't go to Augusta because I like golf, where the Masters is, but now I do. And I, I play golf twice a year. The first time I play, I'm like, man, I love golf. This is so much fun. It's so pretty out here. The second time, I'm like, I stink at golf. It costs a lot of money, and I'm not playing again. And so every two years, that, that's my routine in golf. Um, any golf fans that watch the Masters in here? You're going to heaven. Not really. You might be. I think you. Um, so I'm married to Erica. We have been married 14 years. We met on a ski trip. She fell and banged her head the next day. I'm not lying. Fell in love with me. It's in her journal. She had a concussion while she was snowboarding. The next day she wrote in her journal, I think I love Brian Villarreal. I married her as fast as I possibly could. So far, it's still concuss- she's still concussed. And so, still here. Uh, we have three children. Molly, Molly Lou is 10. Uh, Claire Lauren, or Claire Bear, don't call her that. She doesn't like it, but I do it anyway. Is 8. And then my boy, I wanted a lot of kids. I wanted like 7 or 8 kids. And then I had Claire. I realized I'm probably done. I don't want any more. So God gave me a half of one and my boy, Cal. Cal is not C-O-W, but C-A-L. My favorite sport is baseball. Um, and Cal Ripken Jr. was a famous baseball player. Um, so he's named Cal. But everyone calls him Cal. And everyone always asks him, why are you named after an animal? Um, but he loves Chick-fil-A. Um, let's see. Okay, so... I did not grow up in church. Uh, Sunday, I'm from Texas. Texas is my home. Yes. I'm a foreign missionary to Georgia as a Texan. So Texas is where my heart is. It's where I love to be. It's where I hope to go back to someday. But I love where I'm at. Not anytime soon, bosses. Elders. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I love Texas. My wife's from there. I grew up in Waco, Texas. Okay. Have I heard of Waco, Texas? Okay, great. Great place. Just, yeah. Um, so my, I never, so growing up, Sunday was for watching Dallas Cowboys football and barbecuing. That's all we did on Sundays. That's all we did. Never for church. My parents are good. They were good Americans. Good, they're still alive. Uh, good moral Americans taught me how to be responsible, but we never went to church. Never talked about God. Um, for me, growing up, God was Santa Claus. If you were good and not, and not naughty, you got presents. So my senior year of high school, I start going to this group because there's some really cute girls there and really cool guys there, and I want to be around them. And so I start going, and um, take me to a camp up in the mountains, and I hear the gospel for the first time. I never, ever remember hearing the gospel, ever, until this time. And uh, very insecure growing up, very shy, a loner, not like a druggie, but like just kind of like too insecure to have friends. Um, I had, anyway, just very insecure. When I hear the gospel that they tell me Jesus loves you, God has made you, He longs to have a relationship with you, which will never go away if you believe in Him. And so I signed me up. I'm tired of being insecure and alone. And so not really knowing what I was committing to, I prayed the prayer of faith, became a Christian, and um, 
it's been fun to grow in Christ ever since then. It's been so fun to grow in Christ, some days more than others, um, some days a whole lot less than others. Um, but been growing in Christ since then. So, I become a Christian my senior year. I go to college, University of North Texas, which I don't know why I went there, but I did. And uh, it, so, upon graduating college, I thought, I want to be a football coach. My significance, my identity, my life, my joy, my fun, everything is in football. I want to be a football coach. And pursuing that like crazy. And then I had some friends say, you should do ministry. You should do college ministry, Brian. You would do great at it. And fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Fine, fine, when you alone, I'll do it. So, with a heart full of faith. I go to college ministry at Oklahoma State University. So again, I'm a foreign missionary to Oklahoma. And I loved it. I loved Stillwater, Oklahoma. It was a great place to live. It was a great college town. Um, covered in this really nasty, ugly orange. Um, but while I was doing college ministry there, one of my primary jobs was to meet with freshmen, to meet with first-year college students. And I'd meet with them, and I'd ask them, there were two, besides getting to know them, I'd ask them two main questions. I would ask them, what is the gospel? What's the gospel? What's the gospel? Okay. Kind of, it was this conversation just like this. <laughs> They're like, I don't really know. The gospel is the, four, the first four books of the New Testament. I'm like, well, those are the gospels. So where we find the gospel, and they would hem and haw and eventually spit out Jesus and sin, God, and yeah, blah 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 blah. Like, hey, great, that's terrible, but I'm so glad you're here. Um, I got so tired of first year college students who'd grown up in church by and large. Like born and bred and raised in the church, sent out by their by their church, coming to co- coming to college and not having a clue what the gospel was. Then I ask them, okay, let's say a friend, because you're in college, you're around new people, someone might see your life for Christ and ask you, how do I come to Christ? How do I begin to, to believe and follow Jesus? I said, what would you tell them? And you can't say go to your pastor. What do you tell them? It's on you, right? The world's ending in five minutes. What are you going to tell them? They'd say, uh, talk to my pastor. I'm like, I just said you can't do that. <laughs> read the Bible. Okay, where at in the Bible? Read what? Uh, Romans. Well, that's a lot to read in five minutes. You know, so they really couldn't give me a great answer. And, and I said, well, let's start with Jesus. All right. And so, anyway, I was doing this for a number of years. And I would love to see college students grow from that first encounter to where they would graduate as seniors four, five, six years later, going out equipped and built up and trained to share their faith and, and make an influence for Christ wherever they went. But anyway, doing that, I said, you know what, God? I felt God putting it on my heart. I want to go back and do high school ministry. And I want to train middle schoolers and high schoolers how to share the how to know the gospel, how to understand it, but also love it and appreciate it, and how to share it, how to make it known to their neighbors. And that's really how God got me into to, to high school ministry. Um, and, and youth ministry was, was through college ministry. Into this. So I love preparing y'all spiritually for college. I love, I love maturing you. My, the goal of our youth ministry is to present you mature in Christ. And so I love to present high schoolers as mature as I possibly can in the gospel, in Christ, as they go off to college. Two struggles that I will see college students face that I struggle with now as a 40-something-year-old man and I know that you struggle with. 
Here's the two struggles. Awkwardness and sacrifice. You don't want to be awkward. If you do, like being awkward, you're probably a dad. Lots of dad jokes. And you don't want to sacrifice. Or you count the cost. What's this going to cost me? What do I have to give up? Or you wrestle with, do I really want to give that up? Do I really want to give up X, Y, and Z to follow Jesus? Do I really want to be awkward around my friends and not possibly not be liked or thought of as, as cool to follow, to make choices to follow Jesus? Awkwardness and sacrifice. You struggle with it now. You'll struggle with it in college. You will struggle with it as a young adult. And I imagine you'll struggle with it the rest of your life until you are face-to-face with God. Let's pray. We're done. <laughs> Good news! Question. This is for... Shout out me some answers. What are some ways that you face awkwardness? Right now. What are some ways you in your daily life face awkwardness? As a as try, as trying to live for Jesus. Dig deeper. Yes, good start. How about culturally? How do we? What? Where are the places that you are afraid, or you sense that you've got to be awkward? It's going to be awkward for you to make a decision to follow Jesus, to obey, obey God. What's an area of life? Not now, but in the future, college. Okay, definitely in the future in college. How about now? School in general. How so? Uh, what do you? What do you do? In- Okay. The social aspect of school, the disciplines of studying versus not. Okay, what else? Trying to stand up for your faith, yeah. It's definitely kind of an awkward conversation. Let's just go. I'm going to go there. Sex. You live in a sexually charged world. You guys are. It's 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 focused on you. the The culture is focused on on challenging your sexual desires and getting you to to fulfill them, to act on them. It's awkward to say I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to cross this line with my girlfriend or boyfriend physically. Um, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend or some stranger or whatever. Okay, I'm not doing that. And you've got to tell somebody that I'm not doing that. All right, I love you, but I'm not doing that. Um, that's an awkward conversation to have. That's an awkward setting to be in. Super duper awkward. Like right now. How about like the shows you watch on Netflix, possibly, or YouTube, or whatever you're watching? Like, there's some shows you you watch them, like you know, I, I shouldn't be watching this. This is not honoring of the Lord. And so you got to tell your buddies you're with right now that you know what, or you got to tell your buddies, I don't watch that show. I'm sorry, I don't watch it. Or you, you make your parents a bad guy. My parents don't let me watch it. <laughs> um, alcohol. That was big when I was in college, high school, right? Alcohol was all around. 
It was Brian, drink alcohol. Brian, you drink alcohol, you'll be liked, you'll be cool. This, that, and the other. So, of course, I did. <laughs> um, all right? You guys are challenged every day to, to say, just, to, just drink with the rest of us. Or smoke. Or whatever it might be. All right? Or to call the, the homosexuality good. And don't, don't say, you know, it's not God's design. It's awkward for you to stand up for the gospel, for God's design in that situation. Right? Because you can be ridiculed. You can be outcast. You will be awkward. Very, very awkward. Um, what are some things you have to sacrifice to live for Jesus now and forever? What are some things you, you might possibly have to sacrifice? Give up. Forego. Not have. Time. Okay. Investing in other things. What else? Social status. Social status. What does that mean? Like where you stay in with other people. Their okay. Let's keep going on that. Let's double click on that. What does social status get for you? What does social status give you? Gain for you? Dignity. Dignity. So worth, value, pride. Pride. So you could. I'm better than that person. What else? Friends, yeah. That's why I didn't have security. If I'm liked by a lot of people, I am. I can be secure that I am worthy of being liked. That I'm funny. That I'm good looking. That I'm successful. Yeah, there's great seeming value um, that you might have to sacrifice. I think that desirable things. All right, you might have to sacrifice. Anything else? One of the things I thought of is winning. You, were, you, as a youth in this ta- age, you were called to be the absolute best. Your worth comes from making the highest grades, going to the best colleges, or being on the winning club, team, whatever. Right? You've got to be the best. You've got to win. And if God has made you really good at sports, yes. Pursue being the absolute best you can be. Work on your jump shot. Work on your golf swing. If God's made you great, at school, great. Help me be better at grammar. Help your friend, okay? Pursue those things. But on the whole, to sacri- you might have to sacrifice. To follow Jesus, you've got to help the last person on the team. You might have to sacrifice winning by saying, you know what? I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie, deceive an official. I'm, on Wednesday nights, I'm going to go to youth group and not practice. On Sundays, I'm not going to be playing my sport. I'm going to be worshiping the God who made me according to His command and design. That's a hard sacrifice. Your parents face that. You face that. Um, So there's things that Christians... So it's awkward to follow Jesus in this world. And you have to sacrifice to follow Jesus in this world. More good news. So here's the question, the controlling question for our whole time. What's the point? If the payoff in following Jesus is awkwardness and sacrifice, what the heck is the point in following Jesus? Why? Should I come to Panama City Beach? Should I go to youth group? Should I choose to make decisions that align with Christ and His teaching and His character? Why? What's the point? What's the payoff if 
to mean social awkwardness and sacrifice. I think we find that answer, the beginnings to an answer, in Matthew 4.23-5.12. through 5.12. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or your apps, whatever you have. Matthew 4.23-5.12. through 5.12. I'm going to read it for us. Beginning in Matthew 4.23. Remember, God's Word to you. God wrote this Word, had it recorded, for you to hear it and to communicate to you about who He is, about who you are, about the Gospel. Alright? And He, being Jesus, went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Alright, chapter 5. Seeing the crowds that were following Him, He went up on a mountain and He sat down and His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and He taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall, they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Alright. What did Jesus come proclaiming in 4.23 and 24? What did Jesus come proclaiming? That we're here to heal people? Nope. Good try. Which is what? The kingdom. Yep. Jesus came proclaiming God's kingdom. That's the ice machine. God's kingdom. Okay, how did he demonstrate God's kingdom? Now you can say that word. Healing people. Alright. Making them whole. Okay, now he says God's kingdom is reality. Okay, it's a real place with real rules where God really rules. And then he proceeds to tell us how to live in light of God's kingdom. 
This is the gospel, by the way. God's kingdom has come. That's the good news. Because God's kingdom has come, you can be right with Jesus. You can be right with the Father through Christ. Jesus always comes proclaiming this good news, the kingdom has come. If your mom and dad tell you to stop hitting your brother, what does that mean you're doing? No. <laughs> yeah. You're hitting your brother. Alright? They tell you stop doing it, that means you're doing it. Okay? So, if he comes proclaiming God's kingdom has come, that must mean there's something contra. There's something else present that God's kingdom is fighting against. What is that? We'll call it Satan's influence. You can call it Satan's kingdom, if you will. The place where he seems to rule. Um, Jesus said, this is going to become undone. And this is now dawning and being revealed and becoming made manifest and open to everybody. More on that in a minute. Alright, what is a what is the point? What is God trying to do? With his kingdom, what, what's what's God doing through the unfolding and the revealing of his kingdom? There's two really important things he's doing. What are they? He's trying to save us. Save us, okay. What does save mean? Salvation unto like to what end? To, what's what's the end of salvation? What's the payoff? Yeah, relationship. All right, God's kingdom is bringing us into relationship. Sin has ruined, broken the relationship. Jesus' sacrifice, believing in Him, brings us back into that relationship. But before that, what is God doing through His kingdom? What's He? What's He? What's he doing? Yes. He's glorifying himself. He said, I cannot spell. I'm terrible at grammar. So if I spell a word wrong, just roll with it. Just laugh at me, I don't care. I'm just terrible at spelling. So anyway. God's kingdom. He's glorifying himself. What does it mean to glorify? It's not a word for glorify. Nope. Yes, it's part of it, but there's a better word. Honor. Magnify. When you use a magnifying glass, you look at things closely. My boy loves insects. He loves to get a magnifying glass and bring these things inside my house. Says, Cal, take the snake outside, please. So he'll love to get get a moth or a frog or a snake or a worm or and magnet. Look, look at it under a magnifying glass. And look at all the different details of all the how the veins and how the feet are webbed or how the how the wings are attached. Just, just like to look at all the details of it. And so what God is doing is he's, un, he's he's revealing by glorifying himself through you, is he's magnifying that he is loving. He's, he's specifically showing how loving he is, how forgiving he is, how in control he is, how how powerful he is. 
Some of my youth have complained about our t-shirts this week. They don't like them. That's fine. I like them. Um, But I said, great, you don't like your shirt. God has given you a chance to appreciate how sovereign He is and how much He looks after you because now you have a new shirt to paint in. You have a new shirt to dust your house maybe or clean your tires with. You have a new shirt when you get home to give to your parents and say, Mom and Dad, thank you for helping me go to camp. I want you to have this shirt. (laughs) So God is so good to give them opportunities to be servants, to have tools, to do some chores around, to mow the lawn in. Alright, there's a great good that God has given to them and something they don't like. Whatever suffering in your life, He's using it to magnify Himself, to show you He's caring for you. He's watching over you. He's providing for you. Um, so God is glorifying Himself or magnifying Himself. Double-clicking on Himself. When you double-click on something, it opens it up, right? He's double-clipping, double-clipping? Clicking on His character, on His attributes, on who He is and how much He loves you. So that's part of God's kingdom. The other part is its relationship. Alright? You and I were made in the garden. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with the Father. That is lost with sin. And Christ is restoring that. If we believe in Him, He's restoring that relationship to us, with us. So my daughter Molly, my first child, she, she looks a lot like me. Poor thing. She's beautiful, but she looks a lot like me. Um, she acts like me in, in some ways. So I love to just watch her. She hates it, but I don't care. Um, she also looks like my wife in some ways, but she really acts a lot like my wife. And I love my wife. She's the most beautiful, most interesting thing to me in the whole world is my wife. But my daughter encapsulates my, my vanity. I love looking at what I'm like as a 10-year-old. And I love seeing my wife as, as a 10-year-old. I love to just watch her and interact with her. And, and, and study her and, and, and try to, to, to love her. So I long for that relationship with her. I long to know her like that. And God, you were made in God's image. You bear His image. And He's longing to, to know you as I long to know my daughter. He's, and I, and he, he's longing to know you and draw you close to Him because you look like Him. You act like Him. You're made to act like Him and be like Him. And it's like you go hand in hand. That's what Jesus is doing in unfolding God's kingdom. He's glorifying God and He's drawing us into relationship with the Father. But Satan has influence. We'll call it the fallen world, the corrupt world, the sinful world. or We call it the world often. What, what do you think the design, the goal, the purpose, what, what's he trying to achieve? What's Satan trying to accomplish through his influence, through his kingdom? Destruction. Destruction. Okay, of what? Everything in this world. Okay, let's go specific. What are, what are, what are some things that he's trying to destroy in this world? Uh, the world in total. But what? Relationship Alright, so he's trying to... What's the opposite of a relationship? Divorce. Sure, divorce. Isolation. Kind of other synonyms. 
What else? What else is the design of Satan's influence? What what does the thief come to do? He wants to rob from God. Satan hates God. Don't forget this, by the way. Satan hates you and he hates God. You have someone in existence that absolutely despises you. They hate every single thing about you and you. Satan hates you. He he will lie to you because he hates you. He will deceive you because he absolutely, completely hates you. He wakes up every morning thinking about how he can destroy you, devour you. Okay? When I go fishing, I think about how to destroy and devour that fish. I put a rusty hook in its mouth. I pull it out of the water. I chop its head off. I pull its guts out. I put it in a 400 degree burner. I put it in my mouth and I eat it. And I do, alright? The same way that I treat that fish, Satan treats you. He wants to destroy you and he works for your demise. He baits you with this thing called sin. Okay? All for his own glory. He wants you consumed with him to glorify himself. And he wants to. He wants to kill you. He wants to divorce you and isolate you from, from God. And what he does is he makes you he puts you in a relationship to sin. He says, here, you know what will make you happy? Not God. Sex. Satisfying sex will make you so happy and satisfied. Being drunk with your buds will make you so happy. Winning the championship will make you so satisfied and happy that you won't even need God. And everyone will worship you. Um, yeah, go to camp, go to RYM, but, but be too cool for everything. That'll make you really satisfied. Be too cool to laugh at the jokes and sing the songs and do the devotionals. Um, and, or pick on other people who are not as cool as you are. That'll satisfy you. All right? Total lies. Turning you in on yourself onto Him. Um, So Jesus has said, here's my kingdom. Right? Here's the, God's kingdom has come and He's undoing, shedding light on, revealing to you the lies of this kingdom. All right? Here's the true kingdom, the true and better way. We want to live in this world. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. These Beatitudes about purity, about mercy, about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, about peacemaking, about being persecuted. These are... Jesus is telling us how to live in God's kingdom. That's what we're going to do the next three days. Is we're going to look at each of these things where Jesus says, "Blessed are the pure." All right. And if you are pure, what's your reward? Is it heaven? I think it is. All right. But but the world is going to say, you know what? Blessed, not the pure, but blessed are those who indulge in every single desire they have, whatever that might be. And if they do these things, then they are satisfied forever and ever and ever. And so that we're going to look at these two things. You know, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But the world says, blessed are those who are bitter. That way no one will ever hurt them. Blessed are those who pay back, because they won't be paid back. Alright? They'll win. So we're going to look at this, these two opposing truths. God's truth, and what, it, what it, the fruit it yields, and the payoff 
the blessing from God, and then the world's lie to you, and then what the, the true payoff to that is. And we're going to look at both of these, and we're going to see how they, they are at odds, and which one's better, and which one's more worth awkward sacrifices. What does this one call you to awkward sacrifice? What does this one call you to awkward sacrifice? Um, and we'll see that Christ lived this one out. Christ lived out the awkward sacrificial life for us to know God, be in relationship with Him. And that's what makes it worth it. Christ has accomplished it for us. Christ has done the awkward sacrifice for us so we can know God. And now we follow Him. We, we live just like Him. Right? Just as the people follow 11 and Stranger Things, we follow Jesus to understand reality, to have victory in this life. Um, and beyond. Okay, last thing is to set us up for the rest of the week. What does it mean to be blessed? Jesus says blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? What do you you think he means by that? Blessed is a word that means, since y'all gave such great answers, happy, um, fruitful. Happy is the person who, who walks in God's ways. Fruitful is the person who walks in God's ways. So, let's, look, let's unpack that just for a moment. What does Psalm 1 start off with? What's the very first word of Psalm 1? Turn there if you need to. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed are the blessed are those who who walk, who delight themselves in the law of God. Alright? Cursed is the one who follows the course of the world. I think Jesus is picking up Psalm 1. Jesus is taking up Psalm 1 and applying it. And Psalm 1 is just is all the law, alright? Blessed is the one who lives according to God's ways. Cursed is the one who doesn't. So but like there is payoff in following Jesus. There is blessed. There, there is there is real and true satisfaction, um, peace, joy in following Jesus. So, to picture this, ten or so years ago, I weighed more than three hundred and thirty pounds. I was a big, big boy, and. I felt every bit of that weight. I lived on Wendy's and ice cream and never had a vegetable because it was a gross. Um, I ate terrible. I was huge. My back always hurt. I always had stomach issues. Um, I never felt great. I never felt like I was really, really rested. And I was putting myself at greater risk for heart disease, for cancer, for dying at a very young age, even though I love my wife and my kids. And with God's mercy, I realized I don't. I need to get control of this because the fruit of this life of just gluttony, the payoff's not that great. Yeah, cookies and cream milkshakes from Chick Fil A taste really, really good with extra whipped cream and two cherries. But man, the payoff's not that great. So I've started lifting weights and exercising, and I've lost 115-ish pounds. 
the last 10 plus years. And it's not been easy. It's been awkward. The first time I go to the gym and get in the weight machine and do it the wrong way. The first time I got an elliptical machine. You know what an elliptical machine is? Okay, I fell off the thing. Grabbed the guy next to me and pulled him off. I'm falling off. He pushes me off, off him so he doesn't fall off. And I'm like, this is not going too well. Um, but I've kept at it. I made this. I go to the gym. I'm not the biggest guy. I'm the guy that, that people post videos doing things wrong and looking awkward. It's okay though. I'm in there. I'm burning calories. Um, and the benefit, I feel so much better. I, I can, I can actually. My mom, my, my mom, my wife, can buy clothes for me that actually like look good, right? Um, well, they look good to her. I don't care what you think. Um, I'm, I'm at less of a risk for cancer and all the costs that come with cancer. I'm less of a risk for heart attack. Uh, I have a higher chance of living longer to know my children and my wife, to serve my church, to be at RYM, Panama City Beach, um, more times. So there's, there's, there's practical and, there, and there's, 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 there's benefits from eating healthy and getting fit. I still have a way to, some ways to go. But there's benefit. And then, even more so, there's benefit. There's payoff from being pure, from being merciful, for hungering, thirsting, for righteousness. There's a, a true and real and a good feeling from pursuing these things. There's an actual fruit of living according to what Jesus has told us to do. Last question for you to think about. Is Jesus giving us good advice? Is He giving us, this is the way I think it is, is He lying to us? Or is he telling us the truth? If he's telling us the truth, if you believe that, then these aren't optional ways to live. These are the way to live. These are what a disciple, which is if you believe in Jesus, you are a disciple. This is what a disciple of Christ looks like. They live out these eight characteristics. These aren't suggestions. These aren't good ideas. These aren't nuggets or lies. This is the truth from God who's existed forever, who will have no end, whose will will always be done, who will defeat Satan, whose kingdom will reign forever. This is the truth. He's told you. If someone came and said, here's the key to a successful and a fulfilling life, it's going to require some awkwardness and some sacrifice, but here it is. If you do these things, you will have a successful or a fruitful or a, a fulfilling life. Would you do it? Would you do it? I think you would. More days than not. And that, that's the, the Beatitudes. That's what we're going to talk about in this class. Is, is what is, what is God told us through His Son, in His Son, how to live in light of God's kingdom? How do we live in God's kingdom? Alright? So we're going to talk about how this, our next three classes are how to live in God's kingdom. We're looking at the Beatitudes. Um, any questions? I'm going to teach you guys this week how to be stranger things in this world. How to be how to live in an alternate way to this world that exposes lies of the world and the reality of God. How to be stranger things in this upside down fallen world. And it's good. Alright. Let me pray for us. We'll be done. Thank you all. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that you have allowed us, called us, opened our minds to know the truth, that your kingdom is real, that you really rule, 
you really reign and that Satan is really a liar and that sin is really deceitful. Thank you that you've allowed us to know this. Help us not to live in the light of live in light of what you've taught us, what you've revealed to us. Help us to love truth and not lies. Help us to love being with you. Lord, and thank you that through Christ we never have to face the awkward setting of being before you with our sin upon us. We can be before you clean and right with you, unafraid, unawkward, because Christ sacrificed for us. Pray we have a great day. Keep us safe. Keep the rain away. If the rain does come, Lord, let us have good attitudes and let us have fun. Um, help me to win for your glory, to do good at basketball. Just kidding. Lord, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much.